Hooray, 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 he's risen away. There are bad times just around the corner. There are dark clouds hurtling through the sky. Well, maybe not. We'll just have to wait and see. This is Future Tense. I'm Anthony Fennell. And today's programme is looking at the changing workforce. Early last century, Henry Ford took the ideas of an industrial engineer named Frederick Winslow Taylor and revolutionised his car assembly line. Instead of employing highly skilled craftsmen who worked in teams to build cars from the bottom to the top, Ford broke up the work into a whole series of constituent tasks. And then one person was assigned to replicate that one simple task day after day after day. That approach came to be known as mechanical tailorism. If you were a worker, it was a disaster because it turned what were high-skilled jobs into repetitive low-skilled jobs. But it greatly increased the productivity that Ford's company was able to achieve and it made him a personal fortune. Now, I mention all of this because Philip Brown, our next guest, believes one of the great future threats to the quality and quantity of work is from the rise of a new form of Taylorism. Brown is a distinguished research professor at Cardiff University in Wales. The question really for us today is to what extent are we seeing the rise of digital Taylorism, which is the same kind of process But this is around white-collar work. So to what extent do we see companies trying to capture the knowledge which is usually associated with technical, professional, managerial forms of work, trying to capture the knowledge to understand the business process a lot better so that they can break that process down, they can simplify it. Because if they can simplify it, they can then codify it. And if they can codify it, then they can create new forms of software which capture that knowledge. And that changes, again, that relationship between a cadre of top managers and those beneath them. And we think that this is precisely what is going on. And if you think about globalization, globalization for a company means the alignment of business practices. Now, you can't align your business practices if you're doing completely different things in different places. But if you can standardize knowledge, And if you can standardise the way you do things, and if you can use new technologies as a way of achieving that, then obviously you are putting yourself in a good position in order to actually achieve economies of scale and and scope. And the types of jobs that are being affected or the types of employees that are being affected by uh, this so-called digital tailorism are people we would have only a few years ago thought we would have thought their jobs would have been immune from this kind of, of breaking down and, uh, and reassigning of work tasks. Exactly. I mean, what actually is happening is that companies are increasingly segmenting or finding new ways of stratifying their knowledge workers. So what they're doing is saying, OK, we need a cadre of people at the top of our organisation with permission to think. Now, these people are given discretion. They can continue to really work through where their business is going. But beneath them, there are quite large numbers of those who are, who are pretty highly qualified. I mean, then many of them will have university degrees who will find that many aspects of their jobs are actually not giving them the discretion that they anticipated. That, as we've mentioned before, that they, their knowledge is captured within the software. And you can see how this might play out, for example, in teaching. 
in the future in the ways in which students were presented with high profile academics or really well worked out examples which allow then the teacher just to spend time on discussing that knowledge which is pre-programmed for them. And the same thing is likely to happen in universities. You'll get your star professors who will give a presentation which will be recorded and can be distributed anywhere around the world. And then you'll get a whole cadre of doctoral part-time employees who will provide seminar backup and mark assignments. And we're seeing this happening all, all the time already. So actually, this is impacting on many of the areas we, we didn't think it would have an impact before. And so we're talking about professional, managerial, high-level technical areas of work where we're seeing this divide. And you can actually see it in terms of income data. If you look at some of the income data within occupations, such as the legal profession or even in academia, what you see is those at the top being paid significantly more and seeing their incomes rise much quicker than those at the median in the middle and those at the bottom seeing no rise whatsoever. So we're seeing this, this stretching of income, which is also reflected in the changing nature of employment within the professions. And so according to Philip Brown, when you combine this digital tailorism effect with increasing automation, you not only get fewer middle-class white-collar jobs, the ones that are left behind are far less rewarding. And there are also profound implications, he says, for the way in which we educate people. We're already seeing within higher education these assumptions around user pay models that we can charge students more to go to university on the assumption that there's there's a premium over the lifetime in terms of their income. Well, for a lot of people, that's, that's simply not going to be realised. And that, for us, is one of the key issues that we've got to try to work out because what it challenges, it challenges the established opportunity bargain, that relationship between education, jobs and incomes. And we've simply assumed that the pattern we've had in the past will continue into the future. And we think that is being challenged in pretty fundamental ways. And yet we still see a focus, don't we, on higher education as a way of future-proofing employment into the future. Yeah, we do see higher education as the best way forward for young people and developing the economy. And let's be perfectly clear about it. If you go to university, you've got more chance of being in employment than if you don't go to university. You've got more chance of earning more than somebody who doesn't go to university. But the actual differences are not that great. In fact, some of those who don't go to university who are at the top of what they do, they end up earning more than the graduates at the median level. So it's a bit of a, a mixed picture. But I think the problem we've got is one, we convinced ourselves that the future economy is knowledge-based and therefore it's going to be high-skilled. These two things need to be taken apart and, and not assumed to be the same thing. And also, we, especially in an age of, of increasing inequality, we like to, and in my view, pretend that there are opportunities there for everybody and anybody can get into these jobs if they get the right education. That, that clearly isn't the case at all. And the reason why we push higher education is really because we don't want to answer the, or address the difficult question. We constantly want to assume that the labour market can deliver efficiency and crucially social justice. And the fact is that the labour market is basically seriously congested and it can't cope with the demands made upon it. And that means that we are going to have to address broader questions of how we distribute income and wealth 
and ultimately what the real purpose of education is. And we are some way from having that debate at the moment. And for governments, a lot of us, uh, particularly in the West, are dissatisfied with the level of leadership that we have from political parties, from politicians at the moment. But for governments, there are some very serious social issues here that will need to be dealt with. There are serious issues for government. And of course, (laughs) maybe it's um, slightly ironic, but for governments which are under pressure themselves to balance budgets, which they're finding it very hard to do, then the very tools of, of digital terrorism are being used within public services in terms of shared services and and such things as a way of reducing their costs. But the wider implication of this is that the very model that governments have worked with in terms of providing opportunity and discussions, for example, around social mobility, the ideas around social mobility cling on to the view that there are going to be increasing numbers of good job opportunities for people as the society becomes more technologically advanced. And what this totally ignores are the very processes of standardization, digital terrorism, which have seriously put the brakes on that. And what that does, that that increases competition for a relatively, relatively small number of places. Now, of course, it depends in terms of which kinds of occupations you're talking about. I'm not suggesting for one second there aren't some skill shortages in some areas. There are. But overall, we're seeing a much more congested system of education where everybody is now striving to get those top grades. If you get a B now, it's like being a failure as opposed to because you need an A or an A star. And this reproduces itself in the labor market as well. This is not a, does not make it a happy, a happy place. So I think there's some real big issues about how we're educating our young people today and about the sorts of opportunities they will confront in the future. And, and, it's, and it is very important for governments to start to address these sorts of issues. Because if they don't, we are confronting a world of increasing competition and very significant inequalities. And none of what we're suggesting is going to address those sorts of inequalities. So in, in a way, maybe what we are seeing, I mean, people are now beginning to talk about, are we entering a world of, of post-capitalism? I'm not sure about that. But what we are seeing, I think, is maybe the end of, of the industrial era. Now, that seems like an old-fashioned thing to say, because everybody's been talking about post-industrial knowledge-based economies. But at the heart of industrial society is the labour market. And it's that relationship, ultimately, between skills, jobs and incomes and it strikes me that it's that that's really breaking down. And new technologies are contributing to the breaking down of that relationship in ways which were not predicted by virtually all the main writers in this field, and certainly not by the politicians. An important issue indeed. And one, as Professor Brown said, that's had very little public scrutiny or discussion. Philip Brown, Distinguished Research Fellow at Cardiff University in Wales. We also heard today from economist Jason Murphy, workplace researcher Dr Melissa Gregg at Intel, Dr Tui McEwen, a senior lecturer in the Business School at Monash University in Melbourne, and US employment and jobs expert Kevin Wheeler, the founder and president of the Future of Talent Institute. Karen Savanovitz is my co-producer here at Future Tense. The sound engineer this week was Peter McMurray. I'm Anthony Fennell.